and welcome back to the Girl Dog of Podcast. I am your host, Rachel, and today Cass and I will be speaking to Tamara Lewis-Johnson, the Program Chief of the Women's Mental Health Research Program within the Office for Research on Disparities and Global Mental Health at the National Institute of Mental Health. Tamara has a Master in Public Health along with a Master in Business Administration, and the purpose of the Women's Mental Health Team is to advance the National Institute of Mental Health-sponsored discovery science and research training in the areas of psychology, psychiatry, and neuroscience to better understand and treat mental disorders and to promote emotional well-being of women throughout the lifespan, with particular focus on sex and gender-related research that explores the pivotal life stages for brain health such as birth, puberty, pregnancy, reproductive years, menopause, and aging. We are really excited for you all to listen because this is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we will be providing resources on our link tree along with our Instagram. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. So let me just say I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to have a conversation with you, Rachel. And uh, you know, just in terms of giving an overview of NIMH, I want to say that it's the National Institute of Mental Health, mm-hmm. and it is one of 28 institutes within the National Institutes of Health, and it's the lead federal agency for research on mental illness. Um, Our institute supports more than 3,000 research grants and contracts at universities around the country and overseas. And we also support, in addition to the 3,000 research grants and contracts, we also support more than 600 scientists working on our NIMH campuses. And the mission of the National Institute of Mental Health is to transform the understanding and treatment of mental illness through basic and clinical research, paving the way for prevention, recovery, and cure. And my role at the National Institute of Mental Health is as chief of the Women's Mental Health Research Program is to advance discovery science conducted by diverse scientists to improve the mental health of girls and women in the US and abroad. So that's sort of a broad agenda. You know, I'm physically housed in the Office of Disparities and Workforce Diversity, which really looks at a a broad cross-section of federally designated disparity populations. Uh, And although women and girls are not considered a disparities population, we do have unique sex and gender-specific influences that need to be studied and explored in, in many different ways. And so that's One of the reasons why that office is why I reside in that office, and I'm so happy to be there. That's great. And so I know that we had spoken a little bit about kind of the age range that you guys are really focusing on. And I know that young women is a high priority for the National Institute of Mental Health. Are there any other high priority areas or goals as far as 2021 goes? So let me just talk about, I want to say that, yes, the the Institute the National Institute of Mental Health does focus on prevention and treatment of mental illness in women across the lifespan, but but I'd like to focus on the high priority areas for research around young women's mental health Mm -hmm. and what our goals are for 2021. So we know that global data, global epidemiological data uh, indicates that up to 20% of children and adolescents suffer from a disabling mental illness. And suicide is the third leading cause of death among adolescents and up to 50% of all 
adult illnesses have their onset in adolescence. And that recent global trends show that rising rates of depressive disorders among adolescent girls and young women uh, have been rising uh, when compared uh, to adolescent boys and young men. And uh, the findings indicate that the early adverse experiences that can occur in adolescence and childhood can compromise brain and behavioral development and the uh, mental health and well being of adolescents and young adults in general. But when we speak about the mental uh, health of young women and girls, it's important that we understand the gender-specific research indicates that gender differences in adults emerge at young ages and that the influence of gender roles and expectations on the expression and interpretation of behavioral and emotional symptoms are different for boys and girls and that gender um, is a modifier or a major influence for mental illness risk. And so it's really, as well as for protective factors, so it's really important to focus on the mental health of girls and young women. Uh, and given the biological, social, and cultural changes and impact on adolescent girls and young women, you know, our institute really seeks to explore both the sex and gender influences on the development of the adolescent girl and young women. And for example, we have a notice, a funding notice that, you know, really primarily focuses and encourages researchers to look into uh, the health issues, the mental health issues and mental health concerns of adolescent girls and young women. That research goes from everything from basic research, looking at how sex can affect young girls at an early age or the biological sex can affect girls at an early age. Uh, we're also looking at translational research. So we're looking by that, I, I wanna say that we're looking at how the brain develops. So if a young woman has had an adverse child event, we're um, wanting to know what is the impact of that event if she has experienced gender-based violence during adolescence, if she's uh, been, if she's witnessed trauma or has violence in her community, how does that impact on, on her brain development? How does that impact on her emotional well-being? And then, you know, really understanding that there are unique things that can occur around how to look at either interventions, and by interventions, we mean what sort of programs are going to be most effective for adolescent girls and young women uh, that really take into account some of the socio-ecological factors that they encounter as they grow into, uh, go from adolescence into young adulthood. And so some of the research priorities in that notice include HIV, because we know that uh, girls have different rates of HIV and in terms of negotiating safe sex, uh, are at greater risk in terms of that. And so we, we have our division of AIDS research that is focused on that. And then at the same time, we're also looking at girls who may live in under-resourced communities or disadvantaged communities and um, looking at health disparities research for, for young girls. And then I, I wanna say that we're also looking at um, a diverse range of sex and gender diverse youth, which includes you know, trans girls as uh, young trans women. And that developmental period from adolescence to young adulthood for them is particularly important. They face significant stigma as they um, are 
being able to express their gender identity or sexual orientation. And that can really um, have a deleterious effect on their emotional health and well-being. So these are just some of the things that we focus on in our notice. And so our notice really speaks to the research community saying that we see this as a gap area and that we see that this is an emerging area of research. And it's really important that researchers take these sort of things into consideration when they are considering seeking funding from the National Institute of Mental Health. So I hope that has answered your question. So the notice is one of the things that we're doing. And then we're also have an annual webinar and it's gonna be focusing on gender differences and bipolar disorder. It's gonna be talking about it across the lifespan. So it'll, be, it'll go from young adulthood in, into later life. But young women and young men are equally susceptible to bipolar disorder, uh, but there are gender differences in the expression of it. If it ever goes untreated, it can have a deleterious effect, and it oftentimes can emerge during adolescence and young adulthood. And just quickly, the, the research that you guys are doing for young women who have had adverse events in their lives, are these retrospective studies, or are you guys trying to find these women early on and then kind of track their growth? Uh, yeah, I think we're not necessarily looking at retrospective. One of the major priorities across our institute are, um, one is a focus on primary prevention. So there will be activities where we're looking and working with young women in schools or in healthcare settings where they may be. Um, so we, you know, our portfolio will, can range from, you know, psychoeducation in terms of how to emotion, you know, how to regulate your emotions, how to, you know, deal with, you know, even things like bullying, cyberbullying, those sorts of things, how to really be able to manage and navigate adolescence and still be an emotionally healthy girl and, and young woman. So that's one aspect. And then if a, a person starts to, a young girl or a young woman starts to develop um, depressive symptoms then you know treatment for that and particular types of interventions like cognitive behavioral interventions or interpersonal therapies and things such as that or antidepressants if, if needed but you know the idea is to be able to look at the continuum looking at what we can do to um, enhance those protective factors so it reduce those risks of developing uh, long-term depression, as well as if you do develop those symptoms, you know, really being able to understand what those are and, and seeking care. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that the Institute really encourages is um, for young women and girls, if they wish to, they can put into the search, you know, into their search engine, the National Institute of Mental Health and young women or put in women's health and then they're kind of search around for different types of things. So you'll find a wealth of information and resources that are available to adolescent girls and young women mm -hmm. if they take a look at our website and really peruse it. Okay. And I think one last question regarding that. Um, I know with young individuals specifically, we have things like HIPAA and we have young children who are still on their parents' health insurance. And I know that patient confidentiality is a huge thing, but are there things that National Institute of Mental Health is doing to make sure that that confidentiality is kept between the patient and their provider or whoever they're working with? And are there any issues that come in between that when parents do have to get involved? 
So let me say that the National Institute of Mental Health is a research agency. So what we conduct, we don't, you know, the Institute does not provide direct mental health services mm -hmm. to um, adolescent girls and young women. Um, what we do is develop either the drug therapy or the non-drug therapy that can be used. Mm -hmm. So when we're conducting our studies, we are required to maintain the uh, confidentiality of the data records. Uh, there has to be um, a consent procedure, it has to be informed consent procedures that have to be in place so that when youth do participate in our research studies there, that their um, information is protected. We also do, we do have a data sharing process. So that data, once it is de-identified, it is made available to the public because since we are a public agency, uh, it is the federal right of, of the public to be able to have access to our data. And so that information is available to the public. It's de-identified and anonymized. Uh, and it is also um, information that other researchers can use. And that really advances and strengthens the science as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, you know, if, if a person, a young girl or young woman would like to participate in any of our clinical trials or any of our clinical research, you know, they can uh, rest assured that that information would be identified and anonymized. And they would be signing informed consent forms. So, you know, there's real transparency of what will happen with their data and that privacy is ensured. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's, that's definitely important. And I think a lot of people would appreciate that too. Great. And then I feel like you touched on this next question already, but I still want to ask you, what is NIMH doing for women's health in understudied, underrepresented, and underreported populations? So one of the things that we've done is uh, funded studies that are focused on what we call the U3 group, which is the understudied underserved and underreported uh, populations. And that includes the federally designated disparity populations of uh, American Indian Alaskan Native women, uh, Latinx uh, women, uh, African-American women, women living in rural communities as well. And so we fund a number of studies that are focused on those populations. And it, it can include um, HIV research that we've conducted. There's a recent HIV notice that was focusing on women in the South. And we have a number of other studies that are focused on women who may have a severe mental illness and are in a nursing home and an underserved in that regard, you know, just looking at all the care that they may be getting or whether that's a good setting for them. So there's a wide range of different things that we look at. Um, so that's one of the initiatives that we're supporting. And then most recently, like in the past several months and in light of all of the mental health challenges that we are all facing as we live through a global pandemic, we um, have been very actively involved in funding research that's looking at maternal morbidity and maternal mental health and structural racism during the COVID epidemic. So those are you know, two initiatives that we're actively funding and we're very excited about being able to support that kind of research, to be able to do research uh, in real time in the midst of a, pub of a dual public health mm -hmm. threat, uh, given the public health crisis of maternal mortality and morbidity 
that seem to be disproportionately affecting African-American women and girls, and also the disproportionate impact on uh, people of color of the COVID epidemic and the challenges that women face as they're living through that. So um, those are some of the really exciting things that, that we're studying. And I think it will really help us really better understand the complexity of uh, the lives of women of color, um, African-American women, Latinx women, Asian and um, Alaska Native American Indian women as they're living through a global pandemic. Um, so, and I could talk more about that if you want, but um, there are just some unique challenges that I, it, it just speaks to the need to, to be able to address and, um, and work with you know, specific populations. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I, we know that you're based in the Office of Disparities Research and Workforce Diversity, but I think kind of within that, what does inclusivity and diversity not only mean to NIMH, but to yourself and even the research that you guys are conducting along with kind of like your own employees and your colleagues that you see, um, how important is it to you guys to make sure that you guys do create an inclusive and diverse workforce? So I know that uh, within the National Institute of Mental Health, we've been very, our institute director has been very much supportive of health equity, um, as well as diversity and inclusion. In our research, there is a, a call for better and more representative samples of study participants that are in our clinical studies and clinical trials. Uh, and our Office of Clinical Research works very actively on that. And then in addition, we're also uh, really calling for diversity among our scientists. They're diverse, not in, in just their areas of science, which could in, range from public health science and population science to social work, to psychology, psychiatry, and neuroscience. But we're also saying that the scientists themselves should be diverse in terms of racial and ethnic diversity. And that by having a diverse science team that we really can you know, have better science because uh, science is really enhanced when we have uh, a transdisciplinary science team that uh, where people are coming from different perspectives and different walks of life, different lived experiences, and how that just further enhances some of the complex issues that we're facing around mental health, because our, as a country, we're a very um, diverse country, and it's really important that both the scientists and the science reflect and be responsive to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that's amazing that you guys are doing that because I think especially for myself I maybe am a creature of habit and I feel like people that I it's easier for me to go to someone who I feel like they can relate to me so like when in my personal like healing journey and like going to therapy I made sure that I wanted it to be with a woman and I wanted it to be with a woman of color and that was something that was really important to me and I think it's extremely valuable to see someone who looks like you and can represent you and be an advocate for you who's actually conducting that research and being that you know that point of contact for you I think that makes it so much easier and I I don't want to say that like I'm excluding any other type of person or like men or you know but for me especially like it just is something that I'm comfortable with and it I think it has made my own personal experience with my own mental health 
you know, that much more like valuable to me. And so I think that's amazing that NIMH is doing that. I wholeheartedly support your effort to really find and, and all, all young women and girls to really find if you're, you know, when you're seeking mental health um, services to find a therapist or a social worker or, or, you know, whomever that person would be, they can really identify with the reality that you're living in and that you're facing. Um, you know, even though we talk about drug therapies and, and non-drug interventions and therapeutics, you know, it's important to really understand the, you know, where a woman is, is in her walk of womanhood and the different challenges that she's facing at that time and gender inequalities that she may be encountering as she navigates her life. And it's very important to have someone that can be there, they can really identify with you know, your issues and my issues mm-hmm. and help work through those. And, and I think that's so important. Let me also say that it's, it's also important that um, one of the things that the Office of Disparities and Workforce Diversity is, is going to be working, is working on and will be launching soon is a campaign on diverse women and, you know, really uh, identifying women of color who are researchers that are funded by um, the National Institute of Mental Health and putting their pictures up there and spotlighting them. Um, And that's gonna be a campaign that's gonna be targeted towards adolescent girls and young women rather. And uh, we'll really be encouraging young girls uh, and young women to consider pursuing a career in mental health research and being able to see someone like you, you know, says, well, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is something this is important. And the value that we as as women and women of color or or racial ethnically diverse women, the contributions and the value that we can bring to the mental health field, to the mental health science field is really to be acknowledged. So um, I, I really am very much in support of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and efforts, and I think our institute is supportive of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. I think we could always use more women in the workforce, and especially young women too. I think Cass and I have kind of talked about um, previously, like if only we had some of the people that we look up to now as young women. I think our idea of reality and like things that are realistic and things that we can actually do would have been so much different if we had some of the women that, you know, are here now. And I think that alone is great because I know a lot of companies will say they're equitable, but they don't really do the work behind it. And I think that's, that's the first step. And I think that's amazing. And so many women can benefit from that, even especially young women. And, and let me say that we, you know, this is our, this is our vision and this is our mission. We haven't, we haven't met it yet, mm-hmm. but we're on the, we're on the path to acknowledging the work that needs to be done mm-hmm. and the, and the road ahead, because oftentimes um, really encouraging people to go into mental health science research careers really oftentimes starts at a very early age mm-hmm. and making sure that the girls are encouraged um, all the way through their educational experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, you know, it's, it's a major undertaking, mm-hmm. uh, but it's so important and so essential. And without, you know, diverse women scientists, um, we won't get the kind, uh, we won't be able to really address these public health issues that we have, such as maternal morbidity and mortality, gender-based violence, trauma, 
uh, that that girls uh, encounter as mm-hmm. they go and you know grow into uh, young adulthood. Mm-hmm. I think what's so important, I'm just like reflecting on my time in like high school and middle school and just thinking about almost like the push of like ROTC and having military people come in and kind of recruiting and never really was there an opportunity for us to like have that and say, oh, like I could do that. You know, I I can relate to what their goals and what they want to do. So I love that idea. Yeah, so I'll I'll be in touch with you, but we're very excited about this. It's gonna it's gonna be on a social. I think it's gonna be on Instagram, mm-hmm. and it'll be very accessible. And I welcome your feedback and you know and your your listeners to to tap into to us and when we when we launch that next month, it's very exciting. So exciting, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm very passionate about this topic. So I'm so excited to hear um, what you have to say. And I know we've spoke about it already, but does NIMH lend their hand in young and adolescents mental health for women? So, you know, as I said, the science really does indicate that the things uh, or the social and, you know, and cultural environment that a young woman or girl is living in during adolescence and early, you know, and girlhood uh, really can have an impact on her brain development. And, and as I said earlier, if they encounter adverse uh, childhood events that go unresolved, that these sorts of, you know, that is, that is the period where you see the early indication of mental, a mental health condition or mental illness emerging in adolescence. We do know that um, oftentimes women are at twice the risk of developing depression than adolescent girls are at twice the risk of developing depression compared to boys. And uh, that maintains throughout the rest of our lives as women. So it's really imperative that we really do understand what the symptoms of depression are, to you know, seek help for it, uh, to really support girls in having the emotional health and wellness. And while there may be some biological factors that can influence greater susceptibility to depression, it's really important to you know, really look at those environmental factors as well. That they can be precipitating that, and to understand that that is making a contribution as well to to depressive symptoms and the importance of addressing that. And that's where, um, you know, I had said earlier about what can we do in terms of psychoeducation in the schools. What can we do around bullying for girls? You know, a race, relational aggression that is is uh, occurring on social media platforms. So some of our studies really are focusing on how youth are interfacing, and in, you know, and we're getting information from you know phones are being used, other wearable devices. Looking at how people, how young girls and young adults, how adolescent girls and young adults use their phone, how that can influence their mood. And then also, you know, and and what kind of interventions can be positive and protective factors. I mean, can caring text messages work, support groups or chat groups? You know, one of the things that COVID has done uh, has, you know, really launched in another way is telemedicine for adolescents so that adolescents can connect with a provider or a clinician when needed. But that also brings with it for adolescent girls and young women, you know, the concerns around privacy. I mean, are, you know, is there therapeutic environment 
really private and, and, and those kinds of considerations. So those are some of the things that we're looking at when we're looking at what girls and young women are experiencing as they're going through COVID. Um, and then they also may be at risk for greater violence in their home uh, because they are staying in their home and they're learning in their home. They're, you know, some girls are learning and you know, going to school and working in their homes uh, in their same room, or they may be sharing a room with siblings. And then adolescent girls or girls that young women may be at greater risk for, um, for COVID uh, and that can um, have an impact on them. You know, the caregiving role, if they're asked to provide care for other younger siblings or if they have young kids, you know, some of the things that we have seen is that young women in general who are caring for young girls, not young girls, but children, you know, from, you know, five and younger, that they really are carrying a, a unique burden during COVID. And, and so these are some of the things that we're looking at in real time. And it's really surfacing um, some of the gender differences and how important the environment is on a, on a girl's um, and young woman's emotional health and wellness. And, you know, and you'll see sprouting out and, and people have sent me um, a lot of information on self-care and how popular that is. The, our institute also has information on self-care as well. But, you know, during this time, it really is important to really take time for ourselves and that your young girls and young women really take time to, to really care for and nurture our social connections that we have with one another and what we do to, to support ourselves. Because this is, this is a major pandemic that we're going through and we'll get through it, but we wanna make sure that we get through it with our mental health intact. Mm -hmm. Kind of going off of that, you know, within the healthcare ecosystem, there's so many things that are affected by mental health. So how, how vital is it for young women, especially to kind of take control and address their mental health beforehand and be preventative about it? That way it doesn't stem into other portions of their lives. I think it's essential that adolescent girls and young women are really assessing how they're feeling and being in tune with their emotions and if they are experiencing any depressive symptoms, getting care as soon as they recognize any, any um, symptoms. And not to just sort of, oh, well, this is the way I'm, you know, not just to sort of stuff it in and say, oh, this is just the way that I'm supposed to feel or, mm -hmm. and to normalize it because it's not, you know, it, it, you don't have to experience a depressive symptoms to be a, a um, adolescent girl and young woman or a young woman. You have the right to be emotionally well and, and healthy in every way. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of our research focuses on, as I said, and, and that notice, what types of interventions can we develop? One of the things that we've seen um, is that teen girl, teen mothers are at particularly risk for depressive symptoms and you know, oftentimes their, their depressive symptoms may go untreated. And if they are depressed, the impact that that can have on their children and the trajectory of their children. And even though fertility uh, rates have, have sort of flattened, and we, we saw today's paper is saying that during COVID, it, you know, that it was sort of, you know, lower than it had been since 1790. That was like on the front page of the paper. So, so that, um, 
you know, there, there aren't as many births, but, you know, for those teen mothers, there is social isolation, even outside of a COVID pandemic and giving birth in the middle of a pandemic is, um, is a social, can be a socially isolating event. So, you know, we're right on the cutting edge of a lot of the important research questions and public health issues that uh, adolescent girls and young women are facing as they're going through COVID. I thank you for that question because I think it's a very important question to ask right now. It's just so relevant. Yeah. And I think Cass and I have talked a lot about kind of having a lot of faith and really appreciating Gen Z because I think Cass and I are kind of in that middle generation of like, this is normal. You like, it's normal to feel this way. And then it's like, absolutely not. You shouldn't be feeling this way. You need to, you know, get yourself help. And so I'm so appreciative of Gen Z because I feel like, you know, as the world evolves, we now have different priorities. And I'm so happy that mental health is one of them. And I think that's a huge step in the right direction of just even ending the stigma of mental health. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are some, you know, uh, reports of women that have depressive symptoms for, you know, 10 or 15 years, and never went to get treatment, you know, there's so much that can be done when you get the care that you need early on. I can't stress enough the importance of taking care of yourself, you know, and the symptoms of depression and or mental illness, it can be like sad moods, but it can also be if you can't go to sleep at night, you know, if you, if you're curling up with your laptop, (laughs) instead of turning the lights off and going to sleep, if you're only sleeping for three or four hours, uh, sleep and good quality sleep is so important. And to not be able to get that is really um, an indicator of something that has gone awry. So I just want to say that the symptoms of depression and early mental illness stages can be sadness, but it can be a variety of other things too. Uh, Or it can be, um, you know, not being able to get to sleep. So those are really important things that I think are so essential And I think it's important that adolescent girls and young women, and I'm going to pause just really slowly here, take time away from all those negative images that may be out. There are more images than ever before. The beautiful woman or, you know, not measuring up with what Mm -hmm. that ideal of beauty is. I don't have that figure. Um, I don't have that you know, I'm going to put that name out there, Beyonce hairstyle. Um, And, and it's really, you know, becoming into our own beauty and is part of emotional wellness, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's so powerful, you know, to acknowledge the beauty that we have, that our inner beauty and also our external beauty and that that too is diverse. Mm -hmm. And I just think that this is just a a real challenging outside of, even outside of COVID, just all the images that are, that girls are exposed to that can be very daunting as they go through adolescence and young womanhood. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think those are sort of the character, you know, those are some of the self-care things. Um, And as I said, again, bullying, cyberbullying. You know, our, our institute also funds ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactive, you know, deficiency. And it is becoming more and more prominent among girls. What are the factors that are driving that? 
-hmm. you know, what's going on in the sociocultural environment that might be precipitating that. And how do we also um, address that? So we, you know, um, some of our program officials are, are focused on research of, with youth. And then, and let me also just mention suicide prevention. That is another priority of our institute. And so we're looking at suicide and we're looking at how to prevent it and what are the best suicide prevention interventions that could be most effective. And uh, we do know that even if young women and girls, or even w- women throughout the continuum, but we're focused focus on adolescent girls and young women, in terms of suicide, engage in an active suicide attempt, there may be self-harm going on, there could be cutting going on, there can be other ways that a person, a young girl or, or young woman might be engaging in suicidal thoughts. And it really is important that they get care, that they seek help, and that uh, more and more, um, you know, we're looking at interventions that are in the schools, but when kids are not in the schools, um, what do we do? And the schools are also burdened to do so many things, you know, for, for young adults. So the combination of social media and images and self-harm, you know, as a pathway to a trajectory to suicidal behavior and suicidality, mm-hmm. uh, I think is definitely something to seek care for as early as possible. So I'm so glad here again, another really important Uh, question for another really important issue that the country is facing because we continue to face so many people have so many suicides that are occurring in the country. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I think also, especially during the pandemic is um, the importance of checking in on yourself. So I think a big question for us is kind of how do you, how are you able to commit and power through a role that involves heavy topics and especially stories of other women? And how do you manage your own stress and mental health within this role? So, you know, in terms of powering through heavy topics, you know, I seek first, I always seek first to listen, you know, seek first to listen and to understand, you know, a woman's lived experience and then, and then to be understood. So, you know, I don't go into a situation um, presuming a certain thing. I really do seek very humbly to first listen to the shared stories and lived experiences of adolescent girls and young women and women throughout the continuum. Now, in terms of my own personal um, strategy or plan of action, I'm trying to get quality sleep too. Physical activity, you know, uh, restorative practices like meditation and yoga, eating the right foods, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so important are social connections. So, you know, really trying to be in contact with people who care about me and that I care about them. And then lastly, but also but really important, being able to give back in the community. So I think, you know, as adolescent girls and young women and women throughout the continuum, you know, really to be engaged in our communities. And that really helps us build our emotional health and wellness too. And that is also a path to um, reducing social isolation. So when you see an adolescent girl or young woman who's sort of isolating, you know, reaching out to that young woman and really making yourself available to, to her, I think is, is really important mm-hmm. because she may really need that, that hug or that, that kind word 
or that text message where, you know, you're sending just, how are you, you know, I haven't heard from you. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, Cass and I FaceTime every single day. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. like Cass and I have definitely been very big support systems, especially during COVID. So I, I can definitely agree. I love getting like random texts from friends that I haven't heard from in a while. And I think it, it goes a lot, a long way. And I encourage anyone who's listening. And even today, I'll make sure that I send a text to somebody or call someone mm-hmm. and um, just check in. Cause I think just, I don't know, just having that personal, especially a social connection during COVID. And I know that we're, there is a light at the end of the tunnel as far as the pandemic goes, but you know, we're still, we're still in quarantine or not quarantine, but we're still um, social distancing and still being away from loved ones. So I think those, even those small interactions are so important and they make my day. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love getting snail mail. That's like been the biggest thing, like with my friend group, like love oh, nice. letters and like postcards. It really does make my day. Oh, um, wonderful. And I know we, you had mentioned it earlier too, but are there other organizations or grassroots that NIMH partners with to expand the research and aid for women's mental health? So I know that in many of our studies, we have community advisory boards So there's active engagement in working in communities and affected communities. And in addition to that, um, we're also working. So I'm working with the National Institutes of Health Office of Research on Women's Health. And that office is actively engaged with community-based organizations and other professional societies and the like. Uh, There's the Secretary's Office on Women's Health. There is the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, you know, and the Food and Drug Administration. These are just, you know, as well as the HRSA, the Health Research Services Administration, and SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. So I have to reach out and say that those federal agencies are ones that we partner with across Mm-hmm. Um, our Department of Health and Human Services. And all of us, all of those federal agencies are involved in communities in some ways. So some of our research studies are working in community settings. So they're maybe working in community mental health clinics. They may be working in low-income resource settings. Uh, they may be working in uh, uh, rural clinics, rural health clinics. They may be working in schools. Uh, they could be working in federally qualified health centers. So um, homeless shelters, you know, just a variety of different community-based organizations because it's important to really be in real-world settings to really be able to conduct the research so we can really have um, broad generalizability and be most effective for the wide diversity of people that reside here in this, in this country and also abroad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I think, I mean, personally myself, I think reaching out to other communities and other companies that are willing to help, I think something like mental health that is so important is it takes a lot of people to make it happen. And so I think it's, it's very important to have those people a part of it and kind of lend out a hand when, you know, mental health is very intricate. It's, you know, it's, it's different for everybody. So I think it's great that you guys work with those people as well. And um, I think, you know, one of our big questions are how can we create a safe space 
safe space for women to not only seek help, but resources that are available from NIMH. And then I think also we would love to know like how Cass and I can get involved or even how girl.gov listeners can also get involved um, and kind of um, help within our community. Okay. So let me just say that safety and security of women is of paramount importance. And this is, this is an interesting finding, I think, is that women are oftentimes not safe. You know, uh, they may not be safe wherever, you know, if they're traveling alone, if they may not be safe, if they're get, trying to get to work, uh, women are, are more likely to take public transit. Uh, if you work after hours where there might not be as many, you know, we're talking about, you know, people who are not necessarily working a nine to five. If you're, you mm-hmm. know, working at McDonald's and you work the 3 p.m. to 11 shift and how are you getting home? Are you catching the bus? You know, are you getting a ride? Is the person giving you a ride a safe person? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, you know, you're really, you know, thinking about, and always wanting to uh, make ensure that that your safety and security is of the utmost importance, uh, but still living a full life. You know, you don't want to live your life in fear. But I think that is so important. So you know, the research you know we have, we do have research on trauma where there have been women who experienced gender-based violence, who experienced trauma in their lives, interpartner violence. You know, if that's the reality that you're living in, how do you navigate that situation so you can get to a point or place in your life where you are safe and secure? So, um, you know, that this is why mental health is so important and it's so relevant to so many things. And I think that if you look at our website, if you go to the National Institute of Mental Health and you put in violence and you put in intimate partner violence, um, I think you'll come up with some really important resources that we have there. Uh, we're not the only federal agency. There is a, um, if you, the HHS also has a, a girlhealth.gov website that, you know, speaks to issues of safety and security. And some of our other federal agencies talk about issues of safety and security. You know, it's important that there be prevention, you know, there. So we talk about violence prevention. So, you know, first, you're not putting yourself in a situation, finding yourself in a situation where you are at greater risk for becoming um, in an unsafe place or an insecure place. Uh, so I think that those are a number of factors that are so essential. What was your other question? <laughs> Sorry, I know I like gave multiple at once, but um, and kind of just how Cass and I could get involved and how girl.gov listeners can also get involved within our communities. Oh, okay. So I would encourage folks to follow our website. You know, there are a number of live streams that are done. You know, if you want to learn more about mental health and or mental illness and being able to understand, you know, um, that a person, you know, if a person is experiencing mental illness, how to help them find assistance. So we have a number of things on our website where we have funded researchers that are sharing their expertise and strategies on how to maintain your emotional health and wellness. And then, as I said before, the self, you know, the self-care pages, uh, we have, you know, suicide prevention hotlines and things like that. 
that, you know, all of those, you know, those, I can share all that information with you and your listeners or with you so you can be shared with your listeners. Um, but, you know, just really come to that website, the National Institute of Mental Health, or just N as in Nancy, I as in ice cream, M as in, I don't know, Mark, H as in Harry. And it put those four letters and something about mental health and boom, you will be able to get most of the information you need. And actually some a really a remarkable and amazing and emerging information on brain science and the importance of maintaining our, um, our health and the health of our brains. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that has been helpful. You know, reaching out, you know, staying in contact with me and, um, you know, there, there'll be other things that, that we'll be doing in the community in the future, you know, that I can make you aware of so that you can share that with your listeners, I think is, it will be really important. Yeah, no, we, we would love to, you know, help in any way we can. And we will definitely share those resources with our listeners as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to end with or closing topics you want to make sure our listeners and other women know? So, you know, I have, you know, I really want um, adolescent girls and young women to know that adolescence and moving into young adulthood as young women, that that is a pivotal time in terms of dramatic changes going on in your brain. Uh, and and brain development, and that emotional health and wellness is so essential to that, and that taking care of your emotional health and wellness, uh, and getting help if you need it, we all do at some point in time Mm -hmm. in our lives, getting that sooner as, as opposed to later is so essential, and that the National Institute of Mental Health is here as a resource to assist um, adolescent girls and young women in really understanding the brain science and assisting with resources that we may have on our web pages to help you get the, the, the help that you need. So those are the two messages that, that I would want to say. And I guess maybe a third message is it really take time for yourself every day, even if it's just deep breathing and going for a walk, you know, really make sure that, or calling a friend or FaceTiming or sending a, a caring text message. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those things just go a long way to nurturing, our, nurturing yourself as an adolescent girl and a young woman. And it'll serve you so well through the rest of your life as a woman, as you grow into your power and your womanhood. I love that. I know Cass and I are just very thankful to even be a part of the conversation. And we're so thankful that you came on and, you know, and shared your experience in um, NIMH and their mission and their goals. And I, I think it's so important and I'm so sorry if you guys can hear the dogs are just going crazy, but, but, um, but no, I think this is really amazing. I think something, you know, just in my personal experience is mental health when I was younger, wasn't something to talk about. It was something to like, kind of keep to yourself and something that was quote unquote, not real. And so, uh-huh, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and it, it really did affect my, you know, my young adulthood. And I am grateful that I have like the mentors and the women and, you know, my therapist, even I'm so thankful for all of those women in my life. Cause I think, you know, without them, I don't know, I, I don't know what I would have done. And I think mental health is so important. And especially during this pandemic, I feel like I've had to like, really kind of like look deep in and make sure that I'm good. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really hope that our listeners and, 
can take away from this and just know that mental health is, it's not a stigma and it's not, you know, it's, it's something that everyone goes through. And if anyone that's listening needs resources, then, you know, we're happy to provide in any way that we can. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. I I did want to say that we, NIMH, um, the National Institute of Mental Health, also does stigma reduction research because that's so essential. So stigma reduction research is, you know, whether you are particularly heightened around people who are sexual and gender diverse uh, individuals uh, going through sexual orientation and gender identity. It's, it's important for girls. Uh, no, it, it is, the door is, is wide open mm-hmm. uh, to really acknowledge that mental health and mental illness are, are things that we as human beings live with. Mm-hmm. And it's not something to be swept under the door or to shut in ourselves and to see ourselves as deficient. No, we're, we're diverse, we're, we're powerful, we're beautiful, and our mental health is so essential to really um, fostering our overall health and wellness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank well, you so much for sharing. And I think this is probably in like one of my favorite episodes that we've done. I, I feel like I learned a lot from just hearing you and um, the passion that you have too is very inspiring. Well, thank you. It's, I, you know, I, I wanted to, I was delighted to come and talk with both of you this morning. And I, I hope I have offered some helpful insights into our institute, the, the National Institute of Mental Health, and the importance of, of emotional health and wellness to, mm-hmm. to all girls and women. Just delighted and thank you all for having a venue like this and a forum for listeners to be able to uh, tap into and, and, and get the, this, this kind of exchange. Uh, it's so very much needed. Thank you for all that you do for adolescent girls and young women. Of course. And um, we definitely send whatever resources you have or whatever you think would be helpful. And um, we can always attach those to our link tree so everyone can have easy access to it. And yeah, this will be up on May 7th. So we're so excited. And thank you again for coming. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. It's a delight. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.